ends well boxing. Well, come on in. Ireland's Boxing Weekly Podcast on all things amateur, professional, domestic and international. If you'd like to find a link for all the previous episodes on any platform or if you'd just like to keep an eye on our social media, you'll find all of that and more in today's show notes. You're welcome on in indeed. Boxing news has caused a few tremors, if not rumbles, around the sporting world in the last few weeks. If it's not showcase matches between retired fighters and gamers, it's the World Boxing Series announcing the female featherweight Fantastico. And we daren't even venture into the threesome between Sky, Matrum and The Zone. I promised you last week we'd have news on the Falls Park lineup, And boy, have we got news for you. Your guest joining me this week is a fighter-coach combination duo who come by way of Liverpool, but... Originally, of course, Dee hails from Oma in the county of Tyrone. Dee Taggart had a career of his own as a professional fighter. He trained, of course, under the legendary John Breen. And he has since gone on to work around various gyms and with different trainers in the UK. He was all but done with the game until he discovered what he calls a, the fellow who took him back to boxing. That fella is a supremely talented, super skilled silky singer former ex-professional footballer the scouse majestic middleweight Junior Thompson and the both of them and I'm absolutely delighted that they both took time out of their busy camp schedule to chat with me earlier in the week it's partly this, that's no secret um, to boxing but in terms of combat sports and competitive sports whatever the sport may be I'm definitely not very, very gifted athlete. You know, he was called the gifted one, but ultimately what cost him was the dedication of Junior. He's got all the talent, all that athleticism, and I believe he's got the dedication. So, as I'm sat here in the studio, um, no windows or doors open, listening to the sound of uh, kiddies playing in paddling pools, and I can feel the heat. I can feel Now, as I alluded in the intro, promised you last week we'd have an update, we'd have news, we'd have details on what was going to happen and when in Falls Park. And through the form, through the character of Jamie Conlon, big shout out to you my man. He never lets us down here at Enswell Boxing. He never lets the Enswell Massive down. What a fight. Mate, you've absolutely outdone yourself this time. You, the gang at MTK, the gang at Top Rank. What a fight. What a fight. We've got a civil, could we call it even a civil war? We've got a domestic dust-up that rivals Cantwell Gilroy. It rivals Russell Larimer. And without being disrespectful, safely takes its place amongst the top, if not at the top, of a, of all Irish boxing duels. August the 6th this year, failing the fubble on Falls Park, Belfast. Michael Conlon takes on former Irish IBF super bantamweight world champion TJ Dohany. TJ, of course, won the world title in Japan in style a couple of years ago. And then, less than a year later, faced against Danny Roman in one of the fights, my fight of the year, an incredible showdown. He's had a little bit of a timeout. he's had a little bit of a break. This doesn't get the juices flowing if this does not get you wound up and excited and hopping on your seat like I am right now. Well then, I don't know what it's going to take. But I had this podcast recorded, edited, in the can, almost ready to rock, boom. News comes true, gotta get it all done again. Obviously it's a work in progress, the attendance and everything else capacity will be down, of course, from the 12,000 that we had a couple of years ago. That's to be expected with the current climate and everything that goes. The card is to be finalised. Expect to see Paddy Donovan in it. Expect to see Tyrone McKenna facing the Kazakh killer Zanakosh Turanov. I pronounced that right the first time at asking. List of possibilities is endless. Sean McComb, Paddy McCrory, Lewis Crocker. Who knows? Who knows? It'll all be confirmed in the next couple of days. But the headline act, the top of the bill, the biggest fight, at least in recent times, North v South, Irish Super Bantamweight versus Irish Super Bantamweight. Two tremendous fellas. Former world champion against future world champion. The first show since I've started the podcast. The very first one. Will I be there? 100%. In what capacity and how? That depends. But as I talk, as I record this right now, I am wording a very nice message to Mr. Jamie Conlon. What is beyond doubt is that there will be coverage, there will be interviews, there will be footage, there will be all sorts of everything in the build-up to it. If you've got suggestions, ideas, anything you think we could or should be doing, absolutely hit me up, get in touch, watch us on the social media, the all the details are below here today. 
But for anyone that hasn't witnessed it or hasn't been there for for the big fights, for for any fight. It's uh, in case you think it's it's overstated, it can't be, and it shouldn't be downplayed. It's all well and good at the beginning of a career when there's, I won't say there's nothing at stake, but when it's a kind of a carnival and a festival and celebration of of going pro and being in the, that position and being home to the place where, as Mick told us himself, he he used to have many fight in that park, but not many in front of a crowd like that. It can't be understated. It shouldn't be understated and shouldn't be downplayed. I, of course, started to go up to Belfast, as I've said here before, many's a time for the beginning of Carframpton's career. I think it was a British title fight in the Ulster Hall. And uh, at times in those fights and on those occasions, you, you'd be trembling. And it's not from fear. It's not from danger or anything else. It's from pure adrenaline. And not to rehash or drag up old stories and, and old news. I grew up at a time and I remembered what Belfast was like. I remember the headlines about Belfast. It was a different kind of fighting. It was a different kind of time. So me travelling up from the south, I had all that in the back of my mind. I was aware of it. I was conscious of it. But I was anxious not to let it ruin or impinge or even influence my enjoyment of the fights. Knowing the crowd that Carl attracted across the divides, across the boundaries, across the borders. It, it did add to it. It definitely added that. It, but it was that addition of that edge that brought that very, very special and unique atmosphere that really, it's, it, it'll be, it's, it's unmatched and certainly unsurpassed without a doubt at the moment anyways. Can Conlon do it? Time will tell. It's a big, big void to fill. Mr. Frampton leaves a big pair of boots behind him and um, he's already moving on to his media career and a fantastic advert recently I've seen that he's done online with uh, Ulster Bank and safe to say that just captures his personality to a T. But for anybody that thinks maybe I'm overstating it a little bit, that maybe Al didn't get out too often, he was uh, he was caught up in it a little bit much. Or have a listen to somebody who's been around the world in many, many different countries, in many different scenarios, in many different states as a coach, as a trainer, and has been on the front line and experienced all sorts of atmospheres. Teddy Atlas talking about a time that he spent in Belfast, a time when Barry McWigan, of course, was making his way to the top, those couple of fights just prior to the Pedroza fight, but also a time of just horrific atrocities. But as widely stated and documented, boxing crossed that divide. I remember the McGuigan uh, hysteria, that everybody loved Barry McGuigan. It was a great story. I remember being in King's Hall, so it was a great experience. Being in King's Hall that maybe maybe it fit maybe it fit five thousand we use an arbitrary number. Maybe it fit um ten thousand. And meanwhile they they get fifteen thousand in there somehow, and there'd be another twenty thousand standing outside, you know, chanting songs. It's at King's Hall. And like I said, they jam it in, you know, and I was there during those times where the English guard was there and they put their rifles up and to get in, they made like a, a walkway to get in because there was so many people in there. It was standing room only. And so you could be sitting here and there'd be someone standing here. I mean, every, every nook and cranny of the place was taken up by some people. And I remember it was one of the most emotional things I ever went through. And I've been, I've seen a few. I remember to clear the the way to the ring. They had the the English army, whatever they were, the English with their rifles. They they would put them up like this, and they formed sort of a a walkway. 
where you could get to the right so we could walk through it. And so I'm walking with them, and people are reaching out, trying to touch him, trying to touch McGuigan, and touch us. And we walked through, and it took a while, you know, to get through, to navigate through all this. And we finally get to the ring, we get up in the ring, and there's Pat McGuigan, his father, who's a saloon singer, <coughs> and a good guy, you know, nice guy. And he's up in the ring, and, you know, that was part of the deal, right, back then. And he gets in the ring, and places packed, and we're in, the, in there. And it's already, you already feel like you went through a fight to get to the ring, <laughs> you know. So you get to the ring, you go through all this, right? And now you get in the ring, and now what's going to happen now? Pat McGuigan's going to sing Danny Boy. Oh, my God. It was so beautiful. It almost makes you emotional. Because I remember when he sang that, everybody just got quiet. And I'm looking around, you know, because I wanted to understand what it meant. And I I see these guys, you know, hardened guys, tears coming down their face. And here he is, he's singing, and these people are crying. And then they're telling me that Jerry Adams is there and this one's there. You know, I half understand what's going on, but not like I explained before, not to the point that the people that live it, and that this is the one day that these people can show up and not have to worry about being assassinated, that that there was a truce to all the terrible stuff that was going on. There was a truce on the day that McGuigan would fight. And, of course, McGuigan wore the Dolph, the peace Dolph on his trunks, you know, when he came in the ring. That was on purpose, obviously. And so we go, so that's the setting. That's the background. That's the seriousness of this. And then you get in the ring and you got to do combat now, right? You got to do fight. And before that, Pat McGuigan sings Danny Boy. People are crying. And when it was all over with, I looked at, I looked at, um, I looked at Mickey Duff and I said, now we got to fight. <laughs> I, I feel like I just won 15 rounds. Now you got to fight. And again, it speaks to McGuigan. How together he was mentally, really, seriously, um, at that time to handle all this emotion, you know, and all of this that was on him. I don't think people realize it to the degree that it really was. And, and what he represented to these people, what he meant to these people. But to be up there in the front seat with it was, you know, it was, it was eye-opening. Uh, like Mickey said, it made the hair stand on, the, on your arms, you know. It was that kind of, it was that kind of feeling. It was the one time I could understand when they used to say you could feel the air. You could feel the motion in the air. You know, you, you heard writers would say that. Sometimes commentators would say that for effect. But this time, I felt it, that, wow, now I see where they get that from, because it's real. When it is real, it's real. Keeping with the Falls Park team, a little bit of a segue. Back in 2019, I think it was, on the undercard of Michael Conlon's fight, I think it was Ruiz, a certain Dublin middleweight and friend of the show been on here with us before. Luke Keeler was in action in his world title eliminator fight with Luis Arias. Now at the time, many people were expecting, and some predicting that Arias would not only beat Luke, but probably school him. And there was more hope than anticipation in the crowd and in the audience. Now, Luke, as it played out that night, he sat Arias on his ass early, and then he sat him on his ass again midway through. 
had to endure a little bit of a torrent had to endure a little bit of a fight back which you would expect in a fight of that magnitude against a tough South American opponent what was a fantastic win and what was a really really credible win against an unbelievably credible opponent for me slipped below the radar and and didn't get the credit he didn't get the credit he deserved for it it should have been hugely lauded it should have been hugely celebrated and we should still be talking about it and it's all well and good me saying that thinking that and um, projecting that how do I check myself and make sure that there's some relevance and that I'm not just being a barfly well looking recently there was a, a fight Jared Hurd Lewis Arias again Jared Hurd the big name Jared Hurd expected to steamroller and what happened was backed up pretty much everything that I've thought and just said Arias was brought in this time as the away fighter Hurd of course the big name former champion who shocked J-Rock Williams and expected to just continue on his run it didn't happen it didn't happen despite a late knockdown and everything else Arias run out a winner over let's say let's be honest about it this was a shock win for for Lewis Arias and it reinforced my thoughts reinforced my belief and it just proves to me again that there is plenty left in Luke Keeler if that's what he decides to do. And he told me here recently, and he's told me a few times in messages, that there will be more. There will be more of Luke Keeler to see, and, and I can't wait for that. And I know that Irish fans, Dublin fans in general, want Luke Keeler back. They want to see him on the big stage. And will we maybe see it in Falls Park? Who knows? He likes that place. He's been there before. He's lit the place up before. Let's just wait and see. Before we jump ahead to this week's guests, I want to have a little bit of a look back over a phenomenally successful weekend in Alicante. Some great wins. Majority of the home fighters getting the wins. The Irish fellas, there was a couple of heavy defeats, dodgy decisions, a nothing that can't be addressed and nothing that can't be used as a, an advantage and fuel going forwards. Performance of the night, I believe, and again, I'm only reading. I didn't, I didn't get to see all of the fights. I saw some of them online. The, the reception wasn't too good, and I was a sort of busy bringing in turf all weekend. So sore still, to say the least. Uh, but I understand that one of the performances, if not the performance of the night, was from our guest here last week, and my pal Danny Keating. We'll have Danny on really soon. I'm going to catch him before he gets home. He's enjoying a few days off right now in the sun with his lovely partner and his legendary coach, Tony Davitt. And I'm going to catch up with the three of them really soon. But great wins there. Great occasion. Great night. Moving on now, I believe, to October. The Devonish and Celtic Clash 12. Thanks to all who downloaded, forwarded, listened the episode. Really appreciate it. Always appreciate it, as you know. Can't do it without it, and wouldn't want to either. There was a card on Friday night in Wakefield again, or in Bolton, sorry, in the UK. It was an MTK card. We had Naceman Gary Cully was expected to get some rounds in from a tough, tough and experienced uh, fighter by, by Simeone, or Simone, I think his name was. Didn't happen. Gary took him to school. He absolutely pulverized him and he was pulled out, I think, after about six rounds, looking a little bit battled and bemused. But it's just a sign. Gary Cully is really making himself impossible to ignore now. He's starting to make waves. He's climbing into that upper echelons of the division. And a lot of the big names above him at the top that they were being dubbed this time last year, the Four Kings and everything else, just refusing to take the fights that should be taken. We've got all sorts of shenanigans going on there all sorts of excuses and reasons not to take them but Cully won't be keeping won't be hanging around for too long the grass won't be grown under his feet a sad result for me when I looked at it and I was shocked to be honest with you and I'd say everybody was was um, Tyrone McCullough who was in with a comeback fight I believe it was seen as and it super bantamweight I thought this was the place for him that he could get a chance to resurrect his career wasn't to be for Tyrone whatever happened whatever didn't happen he he was stopped in the third I think against uh, Brett Fido it was yeah I don't know what happened I don't genuinely I, I don't I, I like him too much as a fighter and as a person to go into the weeds about it to delve too much but it was if I'm being honest I thought the ref was in very quick but I didn't see it close enough I didn't look at it enough to see I was I was just genuinely shocked so whatever Tyrone decides I I hope I hope that's not the last we see him I genuinely do I think we've seen too much good over the years to let that be the last memory of him because he's 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 a phenomenal fella and he does phenomenal stuff not just in the ring outside the ring he's a frontline worker he does charity work he's a he's a huge presence and he's brought many a smile to many of boxing fans face over the years here in Ireland and, and around the world the other one on the night, of course, before I get to the guest today, was 
Listen, a fella burst onto the scene here a few years ago. We've had him on here in the past. He's out of the Docklands Club. He burst onto the scene in, in Belfast again, I believe. And he had fellas like Paddy Barnes, Carl Frampton, Mick Conlon all on their feet that night with a massive display of power and strength. And just beyond his years, hard to believe at times when you're looking at it. It's almost like looking at a dog meowing. Just the power that a young man can carry so early in his career. But as tends to happen when they meet, the more experienced, the more travelled journeymen, they know how to survive that. They know how to avoid it. They know how to make it impossible to land. I'm talking, of course, about Big Bang himself, Pierce O'Leary. He took himself away, travelled across to London out of his comfort zone. He was away for pretty much all of lockdown and learning, re-educating, schooling himself, just learning, learning, learning and improving, developing a style that we saw a little bit of in his previous fight. But the other night, he delivered a knockout. He delivered a display and a knockout that I can't find words for, and you won't hear me say that too often. I'm going to put the clip for it in the in the episode notes here today. You really have to see this to believe it. Have a listen to it here now, but it was... One of the most devastating knockouts I've seen in some time and the way it was done, the way it was set up, the way it was delivered and the way it was executed was just, it was, it was frightening. Getting a reaction out of any movement he's making. And... Oh my goodness me. Yeah, waved off immediately. Not too long after I began podcast, I want to say around about 2018 there or thereabouts. I can remember the day in particular I was having car trouble. I was heading, I was due to head to Belfast. Didn't happen. I... It was a funny time in podcasting for me, to be honest with you, because I was pretty much like a child in a sweet shop. I was dizzy at times, surprised, shocked, probably overawed a little bit. And as I said, the fact that fighters of any level were willing and able to listen to me and that people were willing then to listen in turn was just... It's never worn off, to be honest with you. I, at times, I didn't... I won't say I didn't appreciate it, I still appreciate it more than most could understand. But yeah, probably did struggle to believe it a little bit. It's something, as I explain, that's something that I kind of have to wear a little bit, disguise it, because to do justice to the people who are giving me their time, the guests and the listeners, I believe I need to just rein that in a little bit. But as the advice has come from you listeners as well at times, that's for some what makes it different and what makes it what it is. So I thanks for that feedback always. But uh, I got to speak in around that time of to a fella who was funny. Uh, he was like a real character. He was always full of crack, always had a one-liner or two to send, always talking about music. But he was a real boxing fanatic, a real boxing historian, and he's a former pro boxer himself. Uh, he taught me about fellas like Harry Greb, who I wouldn't have heard of in the past, and coaches like John Wooden and, and phrases and stuff like that, and, and just guided me, taught me, used without preaching, just was able to tell me and, and drop little things in enough in such a way for, that I'd go listen to them. Uh, he was always excited listening to the podcast episodes. He was always excited to hear who was coming, and he was always, always, always encouraging me as I as I went and as I improved and as I tried to improve. That man was Oma Boxer, former Oma Boxer, D. Taggart. And he'd had, as I said, his own career. He trained under the legendary John Breen. He's good friends as well, of course, with my pal Wayne McCullough. And we've kept in touch regularly. Not always about boxing. We chat about music. We chat about this. We chat about that. And uh, oftentimes when you're sat with your feet crossed watching the TV, the phone buzzes and it's it's D himself. And it's uh, it's always brings a smile and it's always a welcome message to receive. But uh, he was all the time telling me at that stage, about a fella he was working with that was really, really getting the juices flowing. He had really drawn D back into boxing where, I think by his own admission, he had become a little bit disenchanted, a little bit out of love with the game. But this kid fell in uh, to D's life and pretty much turned it upside down, got the bug back, and they're on the road ever since. We, as I said, throughout lockdown before, during, and since, we've chatted over and over again about a whole host of different things. And all the way through, he'd be sending me clips and telling me about the fella that he's coaching, who many of you might know, you might remember, we've had them on here for a few minutes at a time, but never for a feature interview. I suppose you'd be a typical example of what I would say is the modern day boxer or what they should be. You live the life, you're in the gym, whether you're, even if you're, even if it's just loosening out, if it's dancing or if it's messing, but you're, you're doing something constantly. Is that important? And does that make your job a bit easier, Dee? I'm very, very lucky. 
joking with Junior because before I met him, he was. He, I I always give his dad credit and give him credit. He he's been a natural athlete. And yeah, he's been a martial artist since he was a kid. Like he got his black belt when he was nine. He's been in the gym since he was six. So a lot of the discipline he had, which was a which was a massive help to me. Yeah, I always say without making them sound too good that he's the perfect student and he is. I'm lucky to have someone like that because I haven't got the patience for. It's good though because I don't think I have the patience for too much messing about so with Junior I very rarely have to have strong words with him or have to argue or fall out he's uh, he's pretty good and all you've been around boxing D a long time most people in boxing definitely Irish boxing will know but as a fighter, as a coach, but you're also you're a historian. So I, I watched some a lot over the last couple of days of I hadn't seen much of Kirkland Lang and I just thought, wow, what a what a unique style, what a very unusual style. He had a little bit of everything and talent. I think there are some things that you could attribute to Junior. For anyone that hasn't seen him, I'm not saying he's like Kirkland Lang. I'm just saying he has a unique sort of an athletic, but a, an eye catching style. For anyone that hasn't seen him, how would you describe it? That's a good comparison, actually, Alan. Not just stylistically, but athletically. Like, Kirkland Gang, Lang was a very, very gifted athlete. One of the, you know, he was called the gifted one, you know what I mean? And, and he was, uh, you know, he, he was athletic. He was he was smart. He was talented. He was sharp. He had it all. But ultimately, I think what cost him was the dedication. And with Junior, he's got, he's got all the talent, all the athleticism. eye-catching but defensively aware to some of the little intricacies that are built into the style are like you blink and you miss them very tv friendly too very very bang on mate that's a great observation he's defensively very very aware very defensively responsible always has now i'm biased okay but uh junior i i feel like and i've said this to you in the past mate and i feel like when i watch you mate i feel like i'm i'm in on some sort of a secret whether it's july 24th or whether it's a little bit after that, this secret is going to come out. It's a great show to kick off post-lockdown career. Followers of the Majestic know your social media. They've watched you through lockdown. They know you've kept busy and you've been in what I suppose we call boxing maintenance mode. But what would you say for you and for fighters that you're, you've been speaking with? What the key parts of that phase? That's a good question, to be honest, mate. I think it's, it's, it's a mixture of everything you've just mentioned. Because, you know, first and foremost for me, training is mental. Um, you've got to be in the, the right mental frame to get the best out of yourself. So I would say mentally, but then at the same time, physically, you can't, you know, if you if you take your foot off the gas too much, you know, you're taking a step backwards. You've always got to be looking to improve. So you have to be there physically. And then again, as you just said, the rest for a lot of us was welcome. <laughs> you know, you take the rest because if rest you up, I came back into the gym. I felt stronger. I felt faster. I felt more. Um, aware of of my you know of my training, so it was it was it was sort of everything you just mentioned all rolled into one. Really coming out of the lockdown, you'd think that it it would hinder, but it didn't. The freshness when we came back was was welcomed. Again, with with maximum respect, I would say coming into the pro game, you'd come onto the scene. You'd, when you look at some of them that come out of GB and that, they might say you'd be a late comer. Not to say that you're an old man, you're far from it. But for Irish listeners and fans that haven't seen it, your style. Is it something, would you say it's natural, Junior, or would you think it's something that you put a lot of time and, and care and thought into? It always looks like it's a flow with you, one perpetual movement. And, uh, yeah, do you know what, to be fair, mate, that's, again, the question's bang on, lad. It, um, I did start late, this, that's no secret, um, to boxing. But in terms of combat sports and competitive sports, whatever the sport may be, I'm definitely not new to, you know, competition. I've been doing it since probably before anyone. Um, I've, I had my first fight when I was five, so it's sort of um, com- competing is something I've always done. This is just a different set of rules, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So once I've learned the set of rules, it's just competition. And I'm one of them type of people, I've got a, a very addictive personality, so, you know, again, thanks to me dad for keeping me away from all things negative, because I would have got addicted to whatever it is I'm doing, so, mm. with, especially with D, and I know D, um, shouldn't even say this, but we sometimes only get the cob on because I go home and I, I'm not, like, I'm not 
not exaggerating when I say I must send them 12 to 15 videos of different things, oh. boxing from the 80s to 90s. I'm obsessed. So, yeah, it, what I what I do is most parts natural because, you know, again, I've been doing it my whole life, combat sports, but at the same time, it's half an obsession because if these shows me sort of, and, you know, Holly can, my girlfriend can um, vouch for this, I'll be standing in the kitchen practicing that. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Something else, I'll be in the kitchen tomorrow, I'll have it perfect. That's just, I've got an addictive personality. So, yeah, a lot of it's um, natural, but a lot of it is, to, to put it quite bluntly, it's just on a, on a, a new obsession for me. Yeah, that's that's class. Like, And the fact that it does, I would say, that the, the athletic attributes would lend themselves to you picking it up that quick and you're smart you're ring savvy too as well for someone with such i would say again with respect with limited experience do you, or d um i know from chatting with you mate how how i know the hours and hours of thought planning i would say at this stage it's probably running into years planning care that's spent around not around the camp not just for junior but in general like whether it's whether it's your music you're as much a music i would say music is probably the only thing that comes close to boxing to rival your time but which of the, would you describe yourself as a modern day coach, D, or would you be one of the old school, or would do you like to mix them and match them? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, don't, I don't really like to talk. I don't really like to talk or describe myself as a coach. Uh, but I just I try to do my best for the fighter. I try to use all my experience, like from the past. I try to use a lot of the old school methods. Uh, I was very influenced by John Breen and Harry Hawkins and a lot of the other coaches around Ireland. The Cuban coach, Nicholas Cruz, had a big impact on me. Uh, Lenny Woodhall had a big impact on me. There's been quite a few, and you just pick up as you go along, and then obviously John Breen was a massive influence on me and a good mm-hmm. friend still. But uh, I just try to use all of, all the amateur experience, then all the professional experience, and then I try to look. I've also got some, like I got a good education. I got a BS, I got a BSc in sport health, exercise and nutrition. So I try to use my academic background and sort of mix that all up, keep it modern, keep it fresh, and also listen to the fighter. That's the key thing. I listen to, to who I'm training, which is junior, and I try to develop the best thing for him to move forward. Just yeah, no, and and you know something that's that's a refreshing as well that that. There's a lot of fellas on the scene now that we've we've shared many messages and many thoughts on that 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 it's about themselves first and then oh yeah there's a fighter too with you it's the opposite and that's that's what makes it uh, there's but whatever you do have to say it tends to get uh, it can get covered with a one liner is that fair to say Junior he has some one liners <laughs> yeah, yeah most definitely but again in, in to, just what he said there that's exactly why I just you know I I wanted to train with D and I sacked all the other coaches off you know. No, no disrespect to anyone else, but a lot of coaches do put themselves first, and they definitely, 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 I can say with, you know, first hand, he doesn't do that. He puts the fighter first, and it's, it comforts, you know, as a fighter, especially for me as well. This is a new sport to me, so there's a lot of things I didn't know. So, you know, to have, to have your coach so clear to see, have your best interest at heart, yeah. it's, it's a no-brainer for me why, why you know, I, I chose me. Um, it's important as well. So, but also on that line, Freddie Roach has a great line. Like sometimes people come across, you know, a bit crazy or shout or make noise, but it's all just to get junior attention. Mm. It's all about them. And the best thing from the best modern coach, Freddie Roach, I always say, it's not really about the coach. When the bell rings, I sit down. So when the bell rings, yeah. remember Freddie Roach saying that, and I always say to junior, when the bell rings. On the 24th of July, I'll sit down and it's all on junior, and all the credit goes to junior. Yeah. That's the way it works, and that's the way boxing is. And that's the way it should, be. and that's the way it should be. But there's a lot, in, to your credit, the there's a lot of coaches forget that, you know. And and Freddie as well at times he likes to inject him. But when you're Freddie Roach, you you get to do that a little bit more often, I suppose. But uh, and listen, we've bought, we've got a mutual mate who's making waves in the coaching scene. He's a, and I would say, and you, and I'm sure you would echo that long overdue it's a long long it's been too long we haven't seen wayne mccullough on the side of a ring um he's forgotten most about more about boxing than most lads would uh would ever know it's that's something that you both could look forward i guess further down the line would you could we anticipate that maybe hooking up and uh 
you know something? I speak to Wayne regularly. He's a good friend of mine, as you know, and he's a legend. And I'm so, I'm over the moon that he's back involved in the, in boxing because he's got wealth. I mean, he's a hall of famer. Yeah. He's one of the biggest ever to come out of Ireland. I, Yeah, sorry about that. Somebody somebody rang and interrupted the call, so I put I put them on the not disturb now, so you're good to go. Oh, right, um, yeah, you were talking. Sorry, you were just taking up there. You were talking about Wayne and just him, his reintroduction, I suppose, and getting back involved again in the in the coaching side of things. I I just said that it'd be great to work away in the future for me and Junior. I'd love him to meet Junior, and it was uh, like he's a legend. He's my mate, so I would love to get Junior over to Vegas sometime and do a wee bit of training. Or if Wayne's away, he's got Dennis Hogan. He's the same weight as Wayne, so, or as Junior. So it'd be good work, guy. Yeah, it would be brilliant, and it'll be it'll be mutually beneficial too, because who knows with all this change that's going on in the boxing landscape, what way. The doors. It, there's never. There's never. There hasn't been a dull moment in the last few days with boxing. There's that's all change. Well, I just wanted to go back to Junior there. I know the, you've told me in the past um, your thoughts and and your connection with with Junior, and it's it's always great. It's always and every every boxer has a has a different relationship and connection with his coach. But I suppose again, I'm privy to a little bit of an insight into how you lads are. And and Junior, it's fair to say it's 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 different, isn't it? There's there's a little bit of something. There's it has the makings of, of a great story, and and I know I'm biased, and 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 I I hang my hat on that one. Sorry to to, to steal your pun, but how how would you describe it, and where would you say that comes from, or is that also natural? No, I I think it is, yeah, because I think before boxing, um, before I started, you know, properly boxing, he was, you know, he was my friend, so that um that sort of you know relationship that we had. That just translated into boxing. So, you know, I know D knows me inside out. Do you know what I mean? So, um, again, usually with your coach, is your coach and then you go home and that's that. Whereas for D, you know, as I say, as I say, outside of boxing, he's my friend. We can do stuff together. And, and I think that helps boxing, our boxing career because again, as I said, he knows me inside out. Whether I'm trying to fake it or not, he knows. So it's sort of, that lends a hand to, you know, our boxing in terms of if I'm tired, if I'm fresh, where I am in camp, what I need, what I don't need, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And that little personal, the fact that he knows what he's seen and it, it, it's, it, to me, to me, that's a throwback to those genuine, those old school fellas. They didn't have any technicalities or anything else. They knew what they were seeing. They knew their man and they knew what to read. And that's what I would say. That's the combination. It's this post lockdown era, Junior, it's, it started pretty much as quick as the fucking lockdown started. It's bang, with, it's back with a bang. We've had change, we've had matchroom, we've had the zone, we've had sky. From a fighter who's, who I suppose at times has found, from a, for, for fighters like yourself who are not in that, say, GB, or they're not in the Irish HP, or they're not in the, they're not in what the, the names that everybody know, looks for, which incidentally the last crop of aren't doing so well. <laughs> the, the big names, the, the fancied ones didn't do so well. Not to pour scorn on them, but... How difficult is that? Does it get frustrating when you know pound for pound and, and that you've got the talent, you've got the ability to get that opportunity? Does it does it get frustrating at times, or has it just been a case of keep your bear nut down and and, and working away? Um, it, I, I, not, not frustrating because again, you know, I came late, so at the minute I've just been honing in on on my boxing skills. So I wouldn't say very much frustrating, but at the same time. Yeah, it, it, it is because I, I look at, you know, certain fights, I'm not, not going to say no names, but I know I'll beat them. Ooh. And for me, it's just a case of, you know, honing my skills, keep buying my time. And again, I trust D wholeheartedly. So I know when my time comes, you know, I'll get the opportunities that, that, um, I've worked for and I deserve. And again, without sounding, you know, too forward or whatever, I know I'll beat them. I've got no doubt in mind that I'll beat them. So them, them being on the match room or whatever they're on, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for people, you know, they've earned that spot. But, you know, the, the time will come when I take that spot from them. And just until then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them. They've, they've, you know, they've put the work in and they're in a good position and, and fair play to anyone, you know, in that position. I know my time will come. So it's not a case of frustration. It's just a case of, you know, use the time that I've got now wisely. And then, you know, when my opportunity knocks, I'll take it. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's... Um, just on that point, Alan, it's just very relevant. We've got a line, Junior. We've got a couple of 
lines. We like to use certain things, words to focus on certain things. But one of the lines I shout at Junior all the time is, you're only competing with yourself. Yeah. And, and it's just poignant to what you're saying there. He's only really competing with himself because mm. if he gets the best out of himself, we'll be going a long way. So he's not really competing with other people. We wish anybody that makes, yeah, anybody that makes any money or does well at a professional boxing deserves it and deserves a lot more because it's yeah. the toughest sport in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So when we hear about another fighter getting a big opportunity or a big chance or a big purse, I'm always just over the moon for them, them and their coaches. Yeah, I, I would echo that, D, and I found out myself, I thought I, I coasted through the first couple of lockdowns, I thought I spent my time building a studio and doing bits, but i got to admit, the last one, towards the back end of it, I, I felt just burnt out, I felt like I just, the creative side of things, just so that was why I, I was looking for the balance, so now it's just said a little bit, the last few weeks, the last con- interview I did, with, um, um, but not too far away from your own hometown, is a former world champ, Eamon Lockern, no frills, no, no bells or whistles, but man, did he... Did, did he deliver? And what an absolute, what a gentleman! But one of the things, one of the things we spoke about were characteristics, and and those old fighters in the eighties, the nineties, and maybe the early noughties had they were full, packed full of it. I, when the knock comes at the door, when when you guys are in the dressing room on on fight night, D, describe it for me. What 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 sort of dressing room is it? And what is the biggest job? Are you are you getting? Are you settling them down? Are you talking? Is there music? What, what way does it go on and how is it? I have a nice junior dance off me. Yeah. Um our dressing room is just really calm. This I don't really um I'm not I'm not someone who gets really nervous. Um I think that comes down to how well prepared yeah. we are really. Um the weight's not nowhere near a problem. You know, I'm lucky I'm never really injured. Um I don't really get too tired and stuff, so it's just, our dressing room is just calm and just, we just, it's, I can't explain, it's just really relaxed and talking and, you know, we have a little, not a, not a laugh, but it's really just a nice environment and um, there's no tension, nothing, I'm just relaxed and to be honest, I'm just ready to go out and just, you know, put on a show for the people that have come to watch. Um, as I say, for fights, we're really well prepared, the, you know, the weight's no, no sweat, it's just really calm go through um you know the the fight you know the fight plan that we've 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 um worked on for the last 80 eight weeks yeah the script sorry and just go and execute it it's just it's really straightforward no no tension no nerves just just go on and enjoy it man the hard work's done yeah. Coach another Irish boxing legend, Coach Mickey Hawkins has a great, he's a great man for coach. I trained on her, Harry Hawkins when I first turned pro, but Junior knows this quote, uh, confidence comes from preparation. Yeah. So it's a great quote. So, so Junior's always very well prepared, so he's quite confident in the change room. And when the bell rings, he's the same, I'm sure. I was, I, I've no qualms in admitting I was shaking like a shitting dog today. I interviewed Mickey Hawkins because I was so aware. People like him and John Breen, Nicholas Cruz, They've, they're just, uh, I was like a child. So to get to sit with the man in his own club and listen to him, and which is all I can do. And one of the, one of the lines I'll just, I'll never forget. And, uh, per- practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And I thought. <laughs> He's incredible. Um, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but again, Junior, for yourself, it's, um, it's a big one. It's, it's, but it's, it's going to come natural to you because, mate, you're, you're you're prepared. I I get the feeling they could happen in the morning. And something else I wanted to pick up on the fact that the weight is no sweat. That in itself, <laughs> that in itself makes me scratch my head because I'm looking at a fella the size. I'm looking. I'm thinking, wow, how is how is he doing it? You know. But it's a credit to you. It's the prep. It's everything else. It's genetics. It's it's a gift. What's more important? It's probably probably one you get. Probably a question you get asked a lot. But come the twenty fourth, what's more important? The win. Or the performance and the entertaining. Uh, first and foremost, the win for me. Um, you know, I'm a competitor by nature. Um, I would always say I would rather look bad winning than look good losing. So I'd say definitely I want to win first and foremost. And once you know, once that starts, the process starts. Um, uh, you know, looking good and, and putting on the show will take care of itself. To me, nothing looks better than winning. I don't care what anyone says, yeah. nothing looks better than winning. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm confident that, you know, once the, the rounds go into the bank, the rest will take care of itself. Look, looking good, you know, putting on a show 
again, that'll take care of myself, mate. But for me, definitely, the win is um, is all I, I'm looking for. I have to give you your props as well, D, and maybe you, I, I think it, it's it, it's frustrating at times because I'd say looking easy comes easy comes naturally to the whore, doesn't it? <laughs> looking good comes natural. <laughs> Yeah, without a doubt, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. You know what I mean? It's like, gee, isn't just that natural? There's not many people would put up with me as a coach because I'm very demanding. And he doesn't just put up with it; he, he embraces it. So it's so he works. He works harder than any professional I know. So. Let's just put that out there. Well, I would say the what you just said there about himself. I think that's what makes you such a good pair. I think that you undersell yourself too. I think that fighters are very fat. Fighters will tell very quickly when a fella's bullshitting or when he's shite talk or when he's using cliches or using um, bits from from YouTube. I think it becomes clear very quickly to the fella who's putting in the work. So I, I think it's a mutual thing. Um, the last thing I'll ask, just and I'll put it to the pair. Uh, as I said, the landscape in boxing is changing. We're, we're seeing promoters. I know I spoke to Carl Greaves last week. He, he's going to be working very closely with John Wishhausen and with, with Boxer and the likes to, to bring a lot of the local talent and the area titles and stuff to to Sky, to a new look Sky. I would say the plan definitely is for tournaments and, and weights and everything else. What way do you see? What, what, way, what, what does the future hold in the ideal world for, for yourselves going forward and, and what would you hope for? Great. Well, the way I am... With Junior, the way I see things is we just have to get the 24th of July. It's, it's a big step up, Alan. It's, yeah. it's, he, he hasn't done six rounds before. We've, we've just lost a year, but in that year, we changed and we developed in a way that would not. But I want to move fast, so we straight up to six rounds. I've asked for his hardest opponent to date, so I haven't asked for a journeyman. I've asked for someone to come who's going to challenge Junior. He's going to have a go. So he's been out of the ring 18 months. He's stepping up to six rounds for the first time. It's his hardest opponent. And to quote the... Uh, Mickey Hart used to use a quote from a famous basketball coach, John Wooden. Competitive greatness is being at your best when your best is required. And Junior's best will be required on the 24th of July, so it's going to be a hard fight. So I'm not looking past that, Alan, to be honest with you. That's, and you know something, the, I didn't know who John Wooden was until, I, actually just before I did, I was when you messaged me this morning and I came back and I was writing the questions and I said, I must check this guy out and I think, how did I not know? So I've got some, I've got some viewing and listening to do for the evening. So I'll be busy. Junior, for yourself, for yourself going forward, Junior. Um, I guess it is kind of obvious the twenty fourth. But in an ideal world, if for for a split second, if you were to take your eye off it, would you? You'd hope to get a few more fights in the rest of the year and then see where it goes from there. Yeah, of course. As I say, it's just again, I I, I trust you with all that stuff. I just I'm here to train and fight. Um, again. Ideally, I'd like to fight over in Ireland. I've built up quite a, a few relationships in Ireland now with, you know, just through, through knowing D. So I'd like to put on a show over there for, 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 for D and for, and for his people. Falls Park, D. Falls Park, maybe. Listen, that would be amazing. The Falls Park or McConnell, I don't know, it's a bit close, isn't it? He's out in July, it's August, but I know Jamie is, you know, so I would love I would love to take Junior maybe over to the Falls Park in August, even if he can't get on the ball, but I would love to get him on the Belfast Fight Nights, because as you know, Al, there's nowhere, oh. there's no fight nights are better than the Belfast Fight Nights. I'm getting goosebumps here just just thinking about the Titanic and Windsor Park. So here's a shout out, to, shout out. I know Jamie listens every odd week, he gets it direct to his phone every week, so Jamie, if you're listening, Hook D and Junior up. If they're not going to fight, get them over there. Get them ringside because you've got a talent here, mate. Well, nobody, nobody, and I say, and I, and I say this, um, nobody encapsulates the fighting spirit and the style and the heart and the determination of Belfast boxing more than Jamie Conlon did. He was to his detriment at times, and and um, he he did. Let me wrap it all up by saying to you lads, there's a bit of. I, I'm feeling enthusiastic. I'm feeling enthused. I'm feeling positive. I feel like I know. I was speaking to Jazz a good bit over lockdown before. He's got his opportunity. I believe he's going to seize it with both hands. There's a movement going on. It's 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 and it centres around. I would say from just from what I'm seeing, Liverpool, the city, Belfast is 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 moving. It's 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 like they're shaking off. I don't know. It's like they're moving at a at a rate of knots. Is that fair to say? And um, how do you see the city post post? COVID and lockdown and and what, what do you think is what have you seen yourself and what's your experience of it? 
two great fight cities, Liverpool and Belfast. One of the reasons why I came here because they're very similar cities. They're working class people. They love their boxing. Support their own. They're a wee bit crazy. Uh, so hopefully the future holds big fight nights for Liverpool and Belfast for Jazza. I hope he wants a world title. And he's yeah. fighter. I hope they all do well. And hopefully Junior Thompson can take part in some big nights and Liverpool and Belfast in the future too, Alan. That's for sure. And Junior, your hometown, Scouser, you're always, you're, you're very like the Irish, very proud of your place. Jazza describes coming down the N11 to, to get there, that he gets that special feeling. Describe that for me, for you to fight in front of your home fans in Liverpool, what would that be like? Do you know what it is? It's a feeling that you can't describe it, mate. Um, as I say, to fight in front of your own people, it's one of the things, that, it gives you energy that you didn't know you had. Um, you know, again, it's, it's an indescribable feeling. You know, fighting in, in fighting in general, you know, you get it's the feeling that you couldn't extra, uh, describe. But fighting in front of your your own people who've come out to watch you and you only, again, it, it's 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 that you you know, I'll forever be grateful for the opportunity. It's a, it's one of them priceless moments that you know you'll take you'll take to your grave effectively. So, again, as I say, when when it when it happens again, you know, just as as the last times, I'll be forever grateful. Absolutely. What a story. What a pair. What a duo. You want to keep an eye on the lads and the build-up and everything else to that fight. Do so. You'll check the notes below. You'll get the links and all that everything else. Just before I sign off for this episode, news came in this morning, Wednesday morning, that the fight between Tim Zhu and Michael Zarafa are now off as a result of a new lockdown in Australia and measures and everything else. Zarafa was allowed to travel, but his team weren't. So... As a result of that, he withdrew from the fight. They've since replaced him with somebody by the name of Stevie Sparks. Don't know an awful lot about him. I expect Tim Zoo to deal with him comfortably. We'll hear a lot more on that. And in the meantime, I've chatted to Mick a little bit off air. A few messages from him. Not a happy camper, but why should he travel and why should he fight without his team that he's been with for the last three, four months preparing? Big, big news hitting the boxing scene in Ireland this week. It's going to send tremors. The build-up to it, the fight itself, and the outcome from it. There are many, many possibilities. The card will be sensational. Ultimately, live boxing is back in Belfast. It's been a long, long time coming. That's it for me and them until then. If you get a chance, go along, leave a rating, leave a review. Help spread the word. Lots more coming, as I said, over the coming days and weeks. Brilliant interviews, brilliant videos, brilliant updates. Let's just hope we get this brilliant sunshine for another few weeks. Until that next episode, stay safe, stay sane, smile. All's well that ends well.